Sword and Laser is brought to you by you. If you get a dollar's worth of value from the show, how about giving us a dollar back? Head over to patreon.com slash sword and laser. Hey everyone, welcome to the Sword and Laser. I'm Veronica Belmont. And I'm Tom Merritt. Sword and Laser is a book club, but it is so much more. So much more. So much more. We bring you author interviews, news from the world of science fiction and fantasy, and of course, awesome discussions from fans just like you. And we cook for you in your home. I don't. No, is that a thing? Is that a service that? you offer? I know it's a lot more. I was just guessing that's not part of what we do, though. Is that some kind of future Patreon Maybe level? Maybe it should be on our roadmap. <laughs> do we have a roadmap? We should have a roadmap. I, I like some kind of what do they call it? Like cloud thinking or yeah. What do they? Uh, I can't cloud remember. Thinking. You know when you do a mind map, mind map. mind mapping. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, what what we're really doing here is trying to cover the fact that there's no what are we drinking. Yeah, I've got Bollywood dance tonight. Tom's teetotaling for some reason. I'm I'm on a, a cleanse. No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm going to go have a beer after the show's over. I just wanted to make Veronica feel bad. And maybe I'll have a glass of wine when I get home from Dunya tonight. Yeah. Join us later. Don't actually, because I'll be in jammies and, you know, Veronica will be cooking for you (laughs) in your home. A five-course meal. Mm -hmm. I did make pizza for lunch. Wow. I had lemon kale chicken salad for lunch. That shows our priorities. Because I live in California and kale is 99 cents, which is cheaper than lettuce. Hmm. Anyhow, let's jump right into the quick burns. Andrew P. leads us off. And as always, we thank everybody who submits stories on the quick burns. You guys are amazing. Mm -hmm. Uh, The sad news that Tanith Lee passed away. Uh, Tanith Lee... uh, Mostly known as a fantasy writer, but she wrote in all genres. She was incredibly prolific. 90 books, 300 short stories. Uh, Her first adult fantasy, The Birthgrave, was published by Daw in 1975. Received British Fantasy Society's August Derleth Award in 1980 for Death's Master. World Fantasy Awards for Best Short Story in 83 and 84. Uh, If you haven't ever read any Tanith Lee, you should. You know, it's it's kind of a sad coincidence, or maybe it's a happy coincidence, but uh, this month on Vaginal Fantasy, our alt pick was Silver Metal Lover, which was written by Tanith Lee. Um, and so a lot of our members had just finished reading that and then learned of her passing. Uh, so I'm glad they got a chance to read something of hers. I'm just sad that, you know, that also came into the news at the same time. Yeah. Let's move on to some happier news from Joanna, who uh, pointed out that John Scalzi who, if we never considered friend of the show before, we definitely do now. Oh, definitely. Is he a he patron? He just signed a $3.4 million <laughs> deal with Tor for his next 13 books. Um, so Back our Patreon, John. This was pretty funny because on Sunday, I think it was, he tweeted out, big news tomorrow. And I wrote, hmm? Or, oh, really? Uh, and then he was very cagey. And then I wake up the next morning to this news, and my mind was kind of blown. I mean, this is a huge deal for him. It's going to be, gosh, 13 books. Although, given his record of, of writing, that's not crazy for him. I mean, he puts out a couple books a year. And so yeah. it's, it's, and it's he not a stretch. He probably put out more than this, is my guess. He's very prolific, uh, and he's got a lot of great ideas. And, you know, Tor is also 
going to make big on this too, because a lot of his books get optioned. Um, so this is like a really great deal to have him on lock in for the next yeah. few years. Oh, see what I did there? I do. <laughs> uh, I'm very happy for him. It's, it's very exciting. And it, I think you it's going to pun head on. Which, by the way, is the name of the sequel to Lock In. Apply directly to the head, head on. <laughs> head on. Apply Scalzi directly to your head. Apply apply John Scalzi directly <laughs> to your head, head on. <laughs> I forgot all about those. Now you haven't. Now it's back. <laughs> now they're back. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Joanna not only linked to the New York Times article about this, but also to John Scalzi's blog post about this, where he does a great job of describing like, no, I don't get 3.4 million <laughs> dropped in cash on my front porch tomorrow. Uh, it's it's basically job security, which is something unusual for writers. He knows where his money is going to be coming from the next 10 years. He doesn't get it all at once. Obviously, he has to write the books, mm-hmm. uh, but it's a great thing and uh, it well deserve it. We're going to get another book in the old man's war. Uh, a couple of new space opera series in a new universe as i mentioned the sequel to lock in head on and several standalones as well as three young adult books i'm gonna tease him so mercilessly on twitter after this show recording about his next book being titled head on apply directly to the forehead i'm going to send him videos i'm going to send him animated (laughs) gifs i'm going to send him everything i can find i'm going to send him this podcast in fact we may even name this podcast apply john scalzi directly to the head head on directly to the forehead directly to the fore is that they say directly to the head don't they did they say forehead i thought it was was forehead we'll check whatever we'll We'll, we'll make sure we got it right look into this Uh, Hey, also other things I'm very excited about. Uh, James, Observant Raven, uh, posted about the first trailer for the Magicians TV series, which has been released. Uh, This, of course, the trailer has been released. What? The trailer has been released. Not it, the oh, TV. not the show. Really? I think just they got clarifying because you know the there was the one per- there was the one person out there thinking that. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, listen, one person. <laughs> you not yet. You. you got you got some time, as we said, it's coming out in 2016, um, but it's going to be out on Sci-Fi, and I think that the first trailer looked really cool. It did. It really did. Uh, a lot, not all, a lot of my concerns regarding the changes that they've made were allayed by seeing what is very close to what I imagined. And I don't require that every movie or TV version of a book be exactly what I imagined. Sometimes it's quite nice for it to be different, but this felt comfortable. This felt right. This, this felt similar enough that I'm like, yes, that's break bills. That's Quentin. Uh, we're going the right way. So I'm, I'm still hopeful, cautiously optimistic. It seems very sexy. It kind of reminds me of the craft a little bit. Oh, does it? Huh. A little bit. I, I, I can see that now that you mention it. Yeah. Um, as a as a female who once dabbled in the craft as a young teenager, as many mm-hmm. of us did, <laughs> it's giving me some vibes of, of that era of my life. Um, gotcha. But it, I think it's going to be a hit with the teens and the youngsters yeah. and the me's. And well, that it, it's great for all ages, because if you weren't one of the people who thought that Quentin was whiny and he annoyed you and stopped reading the books, then you can't wait to see this on the screen, which I, I am among the people who can't wait to see it. And if you're a teen and don't know anything about the books or even college age, you might get sucked in just because of the world that looks so cool and similar to what you wish your college was like. This and, is grad school, by the way, in the TV show. Right. And as we noticed in previous podcasts, uh, Quentin's very handsome. 
In fact, pretty much everyone on the show is extremely good looking. It is. It does fall into that TV show world of everybody's damn fine looking. But it that isn't ah, I don't know. I, I never got the impression from reading the books that anyone was not good looking. Well, that's not what I'm assuming. I just mean like, I, I don't know if I beautified them all up in the book, but I wouldn't expect it not to be that way on television. Yeah, that's yeah. just the way TV is. Um, but I, I, I'm hoping that maybe, I'm not sure how they're going to handle Quentin's internal dialogue uh, that you know people have come to so despair upon because it does <laughs> get a little grating sometimes. Um, you know, Maybe we won't get as much of that, and so you won't have that same effect on the You'll TV show as we did in the book. Yeah, I bet you get some vo but hopefully not as not not to excess mm-hmm. you know who's got a beautiful voice the dulcet will, tones of will wheaton that's right and uh i will talk about this story despite the fact that brian brushwood has been waving around his advanced copy of ernest klein's armada on every stream that I'm or, on or posting him. pictures of him having lunch with ernie with klein, klein you know yeah. whatever whatever uh will wheaton is going to read the audiobook for Armada, which is Ernest Klein's next book, and I couldn't be happier. Uh, Will Wheaton says some very nice things about Ernie Klein, as well as John Scalzi, actually, uh, in this Boing Boing post. Uh, and and I loved Will's reading of the Scalzi books that I've read, as well as Ready Player One. So I couldn't be happier. Yeah, I'm excited for all of this. I wish I had not more that time my to read things. Matters, but <laughs> what's that? What did you say? I said not that my opinion matters, but I don't remember what I said. Yeah, you said. Something about things. That's all I heard. Whatever. Um, hey, we got another trailer. This one also posted by yes, uh, James Observant Raven has been watching a lot of trailers on the He's internet an this week. Raven. He is, after all, a very observant Raven. Uh, but Arthur C. Clarke's Childhood's End series uh, that trailer has also been released. I did not get a chance to watch this one. Did you? Oh, you got to watch it. Okay, I'll watch it now. Because Tywin Lannister is the supervisor of Earth. Ooh. Yeah. And you can't really tell. I mean, they say it in the, the SF Signal post that we've got here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, he plays Corellan, the ambassador for the overlords. Uh, and man, you know, child, childhood's end. We talked about it before. Uh, the trailer just makes me more excited in this case. Very, very spooky. And uh, the guy from Under the Dome uh, as the farmer that's the liaison with the supervisor. Mm-hmm. Uh, perfect. So yeah, this is going to be a three-part series on sci-fi. Sci-fi kind of killing it right now. Uh, very excited for all the shows that they've got coming up in the next year or so. Killing it in potential. And we think they're going to follow through on it. And I hope they do. I do too. Um, all right. What else do we got? Uh, Astronaut reads Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy in Space. This is a story that's been uh, batted around quite a bit. I actually saw this from our friend Bonnie Burton, uh, who wrote the article over on CNET. Um, yeah, a bunch of, I thought a bunch of astronauts, they all celebrated Towel Day too. Yeah. Well, Samantha Cristoforetti is the astronaut who dressed up in the Star Trek uniform. Mm-hmm. So not a surprise that she also celebrated Towel Day, not only by floating a towel up on the International Space Station, but by reading from A Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And I believe they showed all the different ways that towels are useful in the ISS. <laughs> and as you might imagine, if you're someone who knows that a towel is the most useful thing you can have, it's incredibly useful on the <laughs> International Space Station. No surprise. What happens when you try to absorb water into a towel in zero gravity? Uh, it's harder. It's harder, but does it work? Yeah, it could work. Doesn't it work? I didn't watch that part. I only watched the reading. 
I'm curious. I feel like I saw when they did the how to make a burrito in space. Yeah. I think there were some issues with that as well. Yeah. Um, it doesn't uh, it doesn't work as the same because the water floats around. Things are harder in space. Things are different in space. There's no getting around it. Oh, you know, no one posted about this, but um, I saw some of the early photos of The Martian. Um, Entertainment Weekly uh, oh, posted you? some brand new photos from the set of The Martian. And man, it looks rad. It looks pretty great. So I'll, well, I'll find a link to that and put it in the show notes. Yeah, um, would you? Because yes. I would like to look at those too, actually. <laughs> I'm going to do a quick search here. Uh, and yeah, see Matt I... Damon's got, he's got a beard going on, which is something uh, kind of fun because I don't think they really even mention in The Martian whether or oh, not yeah. here we go. he gets a beard. You would expect him to because he's there alone for for a very long time. Well, yeah, some of these pictures he doesn't have a beard and some he does. So I assume that's just over time mm-hmm. they're having that grow in. Which yeah, he's makes not sense. bothering to shave. Why would he? Yeah. Uh, he doesn't have anything to shave with. Well, I'm sure he, he could rig, if he could rig up enough to get himself back home, I guess he could rig up a shaver, but why waste your time on that when you're trying to stay alive? Yeah. I mean, you could use a, just a straight razor, right? Or like a regular razor. You wouldn't need if to make a If he had a sh- razor. Mm. Interesting. Which, well, now, okay, that's kind of silly. Like, wouldn't he have a razor if he, before the, the, the events happen? Maybe his uh, razor got lost. We should ask Andy Weir. We will ask for clarification, Matt Damon or Andy Weir, whoever we see first. Can I talk to Matt Damon? We should get him on the show. You should book him. <laughs> okay. I'll get on that. Would you? Thanks. Absolutely. Hey, the SF signal. I was, gonna, I was just going to transition into the Aurora Awards. Is that all right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm, still thinking, about Matt, no, I'm still thinking about Matt Damon. You keep thinking about Matt Damon. I'll tell people about the nominees for Best in Canadian Fiction in both English and French. Uh, and there's some familiar and not so familiar names on the list for Best Novel English. Joe Walton, My Real Children. The Peripheral by William Gibson, A Play of Shadow by Julie E. Chernetta, Tanya Huff's The Future Falls, and Peter Watts' Echopraxia. Did not know that Joe Walton was Canadian. Feel bad now. Is she Canadian? Is she? Is it supposed to be the best in know, Canadian fiction? You know fiction? how they do the British sci-fi and then they give it to people who aren't British sometimes? Do they do that? No, Joe Walton is Welsh-Canadian. Ah, so All right, so close. Yeah, that works. Yeah. Um, I was more interested in the fact that the um, there is a young adult novel called Mabel, the Lovelorn Dwarf, and it appears that Mabel has a beard on yeah. the cover of the book. I so mean, I don't know what's going on with that. Mabel's a dwarf. Mabel has a beard. I yes, I I I don't, don't know put much Mabel about in a box. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. Tom. <laughs> I'm just intrigued. <laughs> we'll put it that Conchita way. Cheetah had a beard and she won Eurovision last year. Yes, that's true. That's true. That's true. That is very it's true. Very true. That's very true. All right. Uh, I think we're done with the quick burns. Yes. Thank it, you to everyone. Yes, as always, you guys are awesome by putting things in the quick burns discussion folder over on Goodreads. We're always looking for new stories to share. And uh, hopefully you guys enjoy enjoy sharing them with us. But now it is time for Barrier Sword, which is our feedback from the audience. This is actually an older thread that Patrick started back in 2013, but some some people have been posting to it lately, and it's a great topic, which is, are some stories just too old, forgotten, or unreadable by today's standards? Now, this was before we'd even read 
the um, oh, I can never remember the name. Uh, the, uh, Sword of Rhiannon. Yeah, it was well. Sword of Rhiannon is where I was going with this. Oh. It was before we'd read the Demolished Man. Ah, even. Alfred Bester. Yeah. Yeah. So, so this was bef- you know before we've had a lot more conversations about the endurability of certain types of literature. Uh, but I, I think there's a great conversation going on here. And it is true that you can't just judge something by how old it is. Uh, we all bring our own conceptions to any story, no matter how old it is. And certain stories, like, I don't know, somebody pointed out the Odyssey seems to have held up pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andrew P. said Dracula still reads pretty well. Shakespeare still reads pretty well. So some stories can last through time. Others don't. And I think, you know, something like Shakespeare obviously reads dated because it's in a different kind of English than we speak today, but we make allowances for that. And so that impinges on your ability to enjoy older fiction as well as whether you're going to make an allowance for the time that it was written in or not. Yeah, and I think a lot of people are surprised upon reading some of the classics, how well they hold up and how modern they actually feel, um, you know, whether or not they've been translated or not from the original text. Um, but yeah, there's uh, people are mentioning like The Three Musketeers, for example, uh, and The Scarlet Pimpernel as, as being still very modern feeling stories, um, even reading them today. So yeah, I mean, it just depends on, on what the story is, who wrote it, what the, what the feeling of the time period was. You know, Victorian England had a lot of very modern ideals and a lot of the books that came out of that era feel that way even though they were obviously written hundreds of years ago Uh, so it's it just depends on on the author now some books you may try uh, no matter what era they're in and decide that you don't want to read them anymore and we often refer to that as lemming a book because (laughs) when veronica read memoirs found in a bathtub by stanislav lem she didn't finish it so Turi asks, I'd like to keep tracks of books that I've lemmed, but I don't want to mark them as read, don't want to mark them as want to read, or even currently reading. If you create a shelf called lemmed in Goodreads and check it for a book, it marks that book as read. Now, other people in the thread point out that you can then make that category exclusive and it will Mm -hmm. no longer count as read, but I guess it still counts in your overall books read. So it's sort of a a, a cheat. Yeah, I have a lemmed shelf. And I feel kind of bad about that, but I did figure this out. I also have a shelf called Backburner, which means mm. I don't want to feel bad by putting the book in the Lemmed shelf. It's just a book that I can't finish right oh, I now. Like Backburner. Yeah, it's just it's on the back burner for a little while. Yeah. It'll come up. It'll come up again. I'll I'll no, eat it. I'll finish I might, cooking I'm, it. I I almost never lem a book. Once I start a book, I almost always finish it. But I could definitely do it. Use a backburner, especially for things that are in my to read that I'm like not dying to read but Mm -hmm. they're kind of on the back burner like one of these days i might get around to it oh that's an interesting way of doing that as well yeah Yeah. Uh, but if you want instructions on how to do that you can head over to this goodreads thread and people kind of explain it but i like the idea of a back burner shelf instead of a lemmed shelf because as i said Hmm. i always feel bad promoting the idea of lemming a book even though i guess i kind of invented the term um, cause it's, it's not a positive thing overall. You don't really want to, you don't want to be an author and see that your book has landed on someone's <laughs> lemmed shelf. It's like, Oh, I know. awkward. That's unfortunate. Um, yeah. so maybe, maybe we can think of some nicer ways to put that. Not that I want to be too protective of authors feelings. They're, they're pretty thick skinned, but I think back burner is a good compromise. Yeah. I like it. 
All right. And then we also have a funny thread uh, that I was looking at earlier today. And I think I actually saw the original Wired article that this came from. Uh, but Michelle uh, says, uh, just for fun, reviews of self-pubbed bad ebooks. And these are all pretty funny. And it's more its more the covers that we're really talking about here. So we're not judging the content. We're judging a book by its cover is, is really what judging, is happening here. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Let's exactly. Be honest. We're judging a book and a cover by its cover. Mostly the cover. It's mostly about the covers. And so you can actually see the covers. You can see the review of the book of the terrible cover. Um, but if you Google for bad ebook covers, you are going to find just endless Tumblr blogs of bad ebook covers that people made. So this you goes know, a little bit deeper than that. My, uh, uh, yeah, but <laughs> this reminds me of something Scalzi said in his post about w- whether he's going to continue to self-publish. And he's like, you know, for various reasons, I don't think I would make as much money as I am with this tour deal, if I self-published everything. He's like, I'm not going to go into that now, but there are lots of services that a publisher provides besides just the selling of the book. One of those services is cover art and negotiating with cover artists and things like that. So I, uh, <laughs> I, I think that this shows that you could be a really good author, right? The author of Turnathak of the Corridors uh, might be a fantastic <laughs> writer, but... Not everyone is going to admire the cover art in the same way. <laughs> Moira, the Zorzan War, the Divided Worlds, book three. Wow. Are you looking at this cover right now? It's yeah, amazing. She, well, I am i don't know if that's her. She's uh, got but, some guns. Look at those yeah. guns, girl. Somebody put somebody in the book the book cover. And, yeah, Tom, yeah, don't, the, why are you explaining it? There's a dragon coming out of her hip. That's supposed to look like it's in the back. It's just. Is that anyway. a, I thought that was a turkey. <laughs> Case in point, as they say. <laughs> and why is there a hamburger above her head with a gun coming out of mm, it? Mmm, hamburgers. Mmm, tasty. Now I'm hungry. All right. Well, we'll go to In and Out after this. Speaking of hamburgers, let's talk about the next book pick of the month. Yes, it is our book of the month discussion time. Uh, first, we're going to kick things off with our discussion of our next pick, City of Stairs by Robert Jackson Bennett. Um, and then after that, we're going to wrap up Sword of Rhiannon by Lee Brackett. So if you don't want to hear any spoilers for Sword of Rhiannon, uh, once we stop talking about City of Stairs, we'll give you some warning. Uh, you might want to stop listening to the show. We'll do a more in-depth uh, kickoff of City of Stairs on its own next not next episode, but the episode after next, because we'll have an interview episode next week. Oh, you're right. Uh, but but just, you know, the give, give them the, the gist of it. It's uh, Robert Jackson Bennett, who is uh, showing that even if you have three names and are from Texas, you don't have to be a serial killer. You can be an awesome author. Uh, did you just come is, up with that now or did we talk about that on in our interview with him? Because that was pretty funny, uh, Tom. Uh, I I just came up with that now, but maybe I also mentioned it on the interview with him. I don't remember. Uh, City of Stairs. Uh, what is it about? What What are people going to expect? All right. Well, let's. I'll I'll start off by saying that this one was uh, recommended to me. We were at our book club uh, meetup. No, no, it wasn't the book club meetup. We were at. Um, we were at Borderlands for the Mary Robinette Kowal and um, and Marie Brennan uh, meetup. That was at um, uh, at Borderlands, and, and they were amazing, by the way. But a, a bunch of us were there. Josh was there. Ian was there. Um, and uh, we were talking after the fact with uh, Sunil Patel, um, who on Twitter is Ghostwriting Cow. And he recommended City of Stairs. And I was like, oh, I love Robert Jackson Bennett. He was amazing to have on the show. And he said this book was fantastic. Uh, so 
that is how I picked it. So it's it's all thanks to Sunil and uh, the other guys in the group who had read it and, and encouraged me to to make this selection. Uh, so this really comes from the San Francisco Sword Laser Contingent. Uh, so if you don't like the book, you can blame them. <laughs> blame them. I nice. guess. Deflect responsibility. Yes. Uh, I have dug in. I haven't got to the main character showing up yet, and mm-hmm. I'm already really sucked into this world, which is to, to, so far taking place in the city of Bulakov, which is occupied territory on the continent. Uh, and it's kind of the, the history is roughly a flip-flop. Uh, the continent is now occupied by a colony of the continent after, and it's kind of vague what happened to the gods, but the gods are supposedly all dead now. And um, I was a little concerned at first because there's a lot of intrigue that happens in this story. And I was like, oh, is this going to be too similar to the Goblin Emperor? Because there is mm. court intrigue in that book as well. But I was reassured that no, it is a very, very different kind of story and that it, it's not reminiscent of that book at all. So there you go. Go check it out. We'll have a link to uh, get it uh, on our picks page and in the show notes at swordandlaser.com. And if you buy it through the links we put on our website, it does help the show out. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's jump into our wrap up of The Sword of Rhiannon by Lee Brackett. Now is the time to walk away if you have not finished the book. It ends with. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay. This book didn't love it. And I feel pretty safe in saying that a lot of people felt the same way. Um, it is, it is, of course, a very pulpy kind of novel. Um, it's very fast paced, uh, so that's that's a that, that's a good part. I think I would definitely say. I mean, it moves along very quickly, but th- I didn't feel like there was an awful lot of depth to it. And I think that that is also because it is, you know, typically put into the pulp category. Um, but I don't, I don't, I didn't walk away from it feeling like I got anything. Do you know what I mean? And do I need I to? Maybe I mean. don't need to. Right, right. And I think that's where that's probably where I depart from you is I don't know that I got anything from it. And part of that may be that she is taking the Edgar Rice Burroughs world and and bringing her own spin to it. And so some of it feels familiar that way. Some of it may be that Lee Brackett was a very prolific author and influenced a lot of other authors along the way. And so a lot of what may have felt new the first time you read it no longer feels new. But I enjoyed it. I really felt like, you know, it's the definition of a page turner. Like you say, it, it, it keeps the action going fast, but I never felt bogged down because of that. And I never was rolling my eyes at anything. I was never saying, oh, that's just ridiculous or convoluted or a huge plot hole. Uh, and not that it's free of all plot holes, but it felt like a very tightly written adventure story uh, and bringing in lots of interesting elements from various tropes uh, in in a fun way. And so I, I don't disagree with you that I didn't come out of this with a new perspective on the meaning of life or humanity mm-hmm. or anything like that. And if that's why you read science fiction and fantasy, which is a perfectly legitimate reason, by the way, then this isn't going to be the book for you and you're going to be disappointed with it. If it's, I just want to live in another world for a little bit and and take my mind off things, perfect book for that. Yeah. Okay, maybe it was also partly that I listened to the audiobook and it was not great. I liked the audiobook <laughs> too. We're like, uh, you, this doesn't happen that often. No. We're at polar opposites on this one because I, I also listened to the audiobook and I enjoyed it. I had to listen to it at like 1.25 speed just to get through it because it was moved <laughs> along so slowly. I was like, oh. Um, but you just said it moved fast. 
You're right. I did say that. I'm contradicting myself. Thanks so for calling me out. So you're saying the action moved fast, the, but the, you were bored. Yes. The hmm. <laughs> <sighs> I did listen to it on a faster speed. It was overall a fast book. I, I just wanted to get through book, it even, even faster. Even at regular speed. I wanted to get through it doubly fast. You just um, weren't enjoying it. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I there were a lot of interesting elements. I thought some of the, I wanted to know more about the history of Mars. I wanted to know more about why there were people there. Where did all these other species come from? Species? <laughs> a lot of, yeah, I'm not even drinking. Not even, we didn't even do the what are we drinking segment. Uh like there's so I, many I, different races on the planet and I want to know where they came from. It, it feels like it's descendant of Earth. Um, I think that's what we're supposed to assume. And yet there are all these other races and I don't know how well, far no, in the future thought, it's supposed well, to be. Maybe. I, I thought that our hero was the only Earth man and everything else is are are races that grew up on Mars. But he came from. No, but I mean, when he went back in time, he was the only Earth man. Right. But he came from somewhere. He came from Earth to Mars. I just assumed no, he was but a migrant. The, the, but the book doesn't start on Earth. No, but he's he's from Earth. Originally. He's from Earth. Okay. All right. Yeah. You're right. All right. So we're the other. Uh, he's gosh. just an immigrant. Okay. So he's an immigrant. So and other everybody else. Is, so everybody else we meet is from Mars. We don't meet any other Earth people. So if he if he immigrated maybe maybe to Mars, parasentric. Maybe you just wanted more Earth people. I didn't though. But there's Earth-like people. I mean, all there. I mean, there's humanoid well, and people. That could, that's a valid criticism. Is that it's kind of hard to tell the difference between a Martian and just a mutant Earth person. Yeah, I mean, is are did all the races originally come from Earth? Was there a, a species so, no. native to Mars? Yeah, all the species were native to Mars except for. I mean, were they? Because Tom. We could we could assume that Earthlings had come to Mars a long, long, long time ago in this history and then had branched out into different. This is a a much older culture. So if anything, they never say you don't know. We don't know. Yeah. He went back a million years. Right. Yeah. But we don't know how far in the future we are when we start compared to Uh, current time frame. So, I mean, that that could saying. be enough time for the human race to evolve into slightly different humanoid species. I think based it's on... supposed to be roughly not that far in the future. Well. Compared to a million years. That's what I take. Then nothing makes sense. <laughs> no, it made perfect sense to me, which oh, let's say it takes place in the 22nd century. And there's there are people from Earth now go to Mars and they hang out with the Martians and they learn about their million year old history. And we only meet one person from earth well then all those races from mars would have to have faster than light travel and they'd be a lot more advanced than the only faster than light travel? because we would have known about them before no. if they had been existing on mars for millions of years we would have bumped into them before no. the 22nd century no they would no we wouldn't we because were, we were on already our... on mars huh? we can see on we would ugh. we thought there were canals on mars up until the 40s okay but I so mean, we could still then, we'd still be able to see a giant ocean. What the ocean was way back in the day. It was back in prehistoric times before All we right, had telescopes. So, I have an answer for everything. Okay, I'm trying to. I'm building timelines in my head, and people in the audience are probably like, "Duh, <laughs> God, Belmont." No, I think it really does work. It's just not very interesting. I think what you're doing, 
your mind is trying to make up like a really cool timeline. Mm. And the timeline she put forward is very straightforward, which is like Earth was Earth until shortly in the future. We all get our rocket ships and go to Mars and discover there's been a civilization there with all these canals for a long time. That's what we don't I mean. see the water anymore. But a million years in the past, before there were humans on Earth, they did have water and they had all these other species. If there were native species on Mars that were still alive in because i mean there's people there when cars is there yeah, so i mean right. and not all of them came from earth no most of all of them are martian so then if there is an existing yeah. population on mars we now would have seen them that would have been no we now would have seen them yes when? now you mean the curiosity rover yes yeah okay so here's a big problem with any story like this that projects the future before they know the future (laughs) yeah as soon as we started landing the viking probes it became clear that no in fact there are no canals on mars and we kind of knew that before even from observation right yeah uh but this is written back 1953 19 no maybe they're wrong about the canals maybe the i think it was 47 when she actually wrote it it was published in 53 Right, it was, but it was published in short story form in a magazine. Doesn't first. matter, same whatever. But I'm just saying, she was like, "Hey, we don't know. Maybe they're wrong about the canals. Maybe there are canals. Maybe those canals really did exist, and now they're just all dried up, and that's why there's no water up there now." And yes, if you live in the present and say, "Well, the Curiosity Rover has not run into any people," then this entire <laughs> book is wrong. But so you have to, basically, it's I'm faulting Lee Brackett for not it's knowing the real future. It's an alternate universe, not a prediction of our actual future. You're an alternate universe. Your mom is. She really maybe cool. she is. She's okay. Not an universe. Don't you don't know my mom? She could be. I do. She's That's really right. Nice. You've met her. That's <laughs> that is accurate. Um, okay. Well, I just I think I just felt like arguing for the sake of arguing, and now I, I got that <laughs> in my system. Good. Um, <laughs> well, I, you know what though? It's 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 not a book for everybody because not everybody because what you wanted was something more believable and unusual and that's not what the story gave you but what i was willing to do is set aside like yeah okay we know this couldn't actually happen on mars now uh and was like all right let's just have a good adventure story it was also predictable too like i felt like cars was so like oh there's there's wayne i hate her but i'm gonna hate kiss her I'm going to hate kisser. Mm. Right, now because we're in we've love. had so many stories like that now. But, but we're so in love. We're going to go back to, believe to Mars. I have to this is the, not the worst version of that story that has ever been told. But but is it worse because a woman wrote it? Hmm. Uh-huh. Deep thinking. I'll leave that to you. I don't know. Feminism. Let's we'll talk about it. As an exercise Maybe for the not. <laughs> Maybe we won't touch on that. Um but I don't, I, uh, yeah, okay. It was an okay book. It was okay. There were some parts that I really liked. The idea of Mars once having a grand seafaring race, mm-hmm. uh, this whole allusion to the old gods really being just technologically superior uh, race that disappeared. Uh, there's there's so some really my cool mind, things off in the corners. Okay, so in my mind, the race of technologically superior people was us. So I think that's how I got to develop this whole crazy timeline. Because in my mind, we, current day we, we of the space, slightly spacefaring humanoids of, of 2015 that Lee Brackett would somehow have known existed in 1950. Right. Um, were, <laughs> <laughs> were the advanced technologically savvy race of gods that comes to 
Mars and teaches the native apparently population. It's pretty Terra centric, if you ask me. Well, I'm sorry. That's just how I roll, I guess. <laughs> the but doesn't that, that kind of makes sense, Earth. though, right? Like, I feel like that's been that's kind of a trope. Like you go to oh, the f- totally. far yeah, future yeah, yeah. And, that, and, you know, that is a trope. I don't think that's what was going on in this book personally, but. All right. Well, we can agree to disagree. I agree. <laughs> I'll agree that you're wrong. That you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Tom's like, that's a phrase I've heard Veronica say before. <laughs> I see where this one's going. Um, but yeah, let us know what you guys thought. Um, I, I, you know, like I said, quick read. Interesting. Cars is not as handsome on the book cover I'm looking at right now as I thought he was in my mind. Ideas of beauty change over time. That's true. Okay. All right. Not, I'm just saying. You're very protective of this novel. Is it because it was your pick? No, I'm not being protective. I'm just trying to explain why I liked it. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm excited. Like I'm excited for City of Stairs. I think that's going to be a fun read. Yeah, it is. So far, it's a really fun read. I'm enjoying it. And I really like Robert Jackson Bennett. Um, also, right now, I'm still reading um, The Fits and the Fool, The Fool and the Fits, Robin Hobb. Mm-hmm. So you know how I have that problem where I go to bed at night and I start yeah. reading and I fall asleep instantly? Right. I was up for an hour and a half last night and I actually Look had to Robin put Hobb the book down and be like, yo, you got to go to bed, girl. And I did, but I could have kept reading. I mean, it's so good. That's amazing. That's awesome. That's the best recommendation you could give a book, I think. Veronica Belmont was able to stay conscious <laughs> while reading your book for longer than five it minutes. kept me conscious, Veronica Belmont. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be my next blurb. You'd be on the book jacket, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that about wraps it up, uh, guys. Next week, we're going to have a great interview with Peter Arulian. Um, he's an author. He's a musician. He works at Xbox. All around, really cool guy. And we had a great time chatting with him. So stay tuned for that that's going to be coming out on the third and otherwise yeah hey it is the 27th right now you guys still have one two three four four days left in the ink shares sword and laser collection (gasps) contest four days left and there is some heated heated stuff going on over there the race is on the race is on i mean cinnabar has been in the lead the entire month pretty much um and they're going strong, but there are some great books nipping at their heels. Um, but hey, if you haven't uh, tried out Inkshares yet and you want to get on board for this particular contest, you want to try it out, you can use the link inkshares.com slash secrets slash sword and laser, and you'll get $10 in credits to back a book you'd like to read. But if you've already created an account and you've backed one of the Sword and Laser contest entrants, you have already received an additional $5 to keep the momentum going. We're just giving away free money. Free money for books. Free money at Ink Shares. Yep. So head over now, tonight, this minute, and back the Sword and Laser Collection contest entrant of your choice. Just read some of the sample chapters. Uh, check out the videos that the authors are posting about their book. I mean, people are going all out, and I feel kind of bad because a lot of them have said, "Hey, can you can you can you share my stuff? Can you talk about it on the show?" And I'm really trying to stay impartial. Like, I don't yeah. want to back any particular author, but I've got some of my personal favorites, and I think Tom does too. Yeah, um, 
I know. I mean, no, I am entirely waiting for the finale to make my unbiased decision. <laughs> but all five of the uh, the top five books uh, will be published by Inkshares. Um, so that's amazing. And then the one we pick, they're going to be on the show. They're going to get some some great feedback from authors like Gary Witta and ourselves. And it's going to be and they're going to be the the very first part of the sword and laser collection uh it's going to say that in your book you you're getting stamped with the sword and laser stamp right there and i i'm really really excited about this you can probably tell um so yeah four more days left guys get in there back your favorite entries and and check out what the authors are putting out because they are so talented and i'm really proud of all of them now look you just got ten dollars in credit for that contest that's saving you ten dollars of book money On an entirely unrelated note, (laughs) our show is entirely funded by our patrons at patreon.com slash sword and laser. So thank you to all the folks who back our show uh, and see the value of it. If you would like to keep the show going, head to patreon.com slash sword and laser. You guys are the best. And of course, you can also always support the show by buying books through our links. You can find links to the books that we talk about and some of our other favorites at swordandlaser.com slash picks. Uh, Thank you guys so much for helping out. And of course, if you want to get in touch with us, our email address is feedback at swordandlaser.com. Our website is swordandlaser.com. All of our discussions happen over on goodreads.com. And if you want to call and leave us a voicemail, the phone number is 4157-SWORD. Six. We'll see you next time. Bye. Visit frogpants.com. Audio program so good, it's like you're there.